I guess I'm just trying to discover that now. Again, never stop learning. <laughs> and never stop producing. Oh, my God. Hello, print friends, and welcome to Outlaw October, a month-long deep dive into the hearts and minds of the outlaw printmakers. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. And this month, we're doing something a little different. An exploration into one corner of the print world, the outlaw printmakers. Who they are, what they do, and what the heck makes an outlaw an outlaw. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gilesembrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. I have some exciting news for you, print friends. If you have been following along, listening to recent episodes, you know I am hosting a print event. In partnership with Print Austin, I'm bringing a month-long celebration of printmaking to Santa Fe, New Mexico, called What Else But Print Santa Fe? And we are getting precariously close to the deadline for applications. That will be November 1st, 2022. We have a print exchange. We have exhibitions. We have a print fair and so much more. So head on over to printsantafe.org. Check it out and don't delay. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products. And you know they are getting in the spirit of things without Law October. My guest this week is Carlos Hernandez, and they are giving away one of each of their fluorescent colors and screen printing inks. That's either fabric or acrylic, winner's choice. So head on over to the Hello Print Friend Instagram account and check out this episode's announcement for details on how to enter. In this episode, Carlos and I talk about his incredible career as a poster artist, collaborating with his childhood hero, Ed Big Daddy Roth, hosting some of the most wild and crazy print events out there, and Burning Bones Press. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to hear the music with Carlos Hernandez. Hi, Carlos. How's it going? Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm still good, I think. Good. Probably. Maybe. <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, let's, let's hope we can, can make it a better morning for a, oh. a nice print chat together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm into that. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to talking with you. I've known and loved your work for a very, very long time. And I feel like we're doing this this month where we're talking to these outlaws and you're the last outlaw. You were you were my white whale. I finally got Uh-oh. you. <laughs> to wow. Come on. Well, you did to be fair, way or like years ago, you tried to contact me and I didn't even know. Wait, wait, oh, that's right. Yeah. We, we were talking yeah. about that. I sent you an invite maybe in like the second year of the podcast. And the second like, this year, is ages ago. What was it called then? It was, it was called, called Pine uh, Copper Lime. Yeah, yeah. Which was, no one could uh, remember. Or understand? I, I didn't. I didn't even. I don't. I don't remember getting anything from you. But it's okay. I'm here now. You're here now. This is why you're my white whale. Is that oh, okay. as Ahab? I've been. I've been pursuing you across the seas of printmaking for wow. years. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well. So, and before we we jump in. Mm-hmm. Would you just let people know 
who you are, where you are, what you do. Wow. Well, I am Carlos Hernandez, and I live in Houston, Texas. And I am a printmaker, artist, collage artist. And what else? Oh, I'm just your typical guy. (laughs) And uh, I have lots of amazing friends and uh, who are also in the art world. And I've been I've had lots of amazing opportunities. And I really appreciate that coming from everyone who's given me those. I also run a printmaking studio. It's called Burning Bones Press. It's a community print shop. And yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah. And I'm also, maybe I'm a, I'm an okay guy. Maybe. <laughs> Probably. Don't well, cross I've, me. Don't yeah. cross me. I mean, I'll get to like the like the moral test questions later on. Uh-oh. Like, I'll give you the, the okay. trolley test, yeah. and you know that yeah. that comes later on, so we can give me some stuff see. where I can make where I can just dish the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm yeah. originally from Lubbock, Texas, and then I moved to Houston, Texas, and I've been here ever since. And so, when you were growing up in in Lubbock, what role mm-hmm. did art play in that part of your life? Well, I was your typical kid that would draw on spiral notebooks and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And I was was that kid that loved Ed Big Daddy Ross. And I would draw all these monster cars with a big hand over the stick shift. And I would draw all the band logos, like the Kiss logo and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And that's just that was my typical art training growing up was just copying pop cultural things like that and uh, that's how i grew up and i and me and my brother we had was a small lubbock then was i always i don't know why but i just thought it was a lot smaller when i was growing up and Mm. there was a corner store in our neighborhood and we would go there and look at rolling stone and cream magazine and Mm -hmm. and we would kind of get an idea of what was going on outside the world and just kind of get inspired by that and know about Blondie and the Ramones and all of this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And uh, that added more fuel to the fire so that when I were, even today, I use a lot of that kind of stylings in my artwork, you know, like it's mm-hmm. typical to see like cowboys and cowgirls and things like that. But they also have like glamour makeup, glam makeup mm-hmm. on and things like that. So I like to mix all the worlds. I like yeah. to mix lots of things. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Yeah. As as collage artists are wont to do, right? Let's see. Yeah. yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And the way the collage art started was that I I just I had as printmakers had all these prints laying around. They were in my flat files and things. And, you know, sometimes you just can't get rid of them. You think you're going to sell them or I don't know what. But a few years ago, just before COVID hit, maybe maybe even fewer, maybe even before that, I just started cutting them all up, slicing them up, cutting all my prints. And there was such a freedom in that. And I was mm. like, whoa, this is cool. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cut, cut, <laughs> cut, cut, and just cut everything, man. And then I had a pile of circles here, a pile of eyeballs here, a pile of faces here, and numbers here, and letters here, and 
then I started to put them all, rearrange them and put them all back together to create something new. So out of the ashes of these prints that I cut up came these new works. So you might have seen some of them in some of the um, some of the artwork that I've done for like Print Austin and and it came from the Bayou or whatever things like that. Yeah, and so where does printmaking come into your story? When were you introduced to it? Well, Texas Tech University. Mm-hmm. One of the last. I mean, I, I have a graphic design degree, so one of the last. One of the last courses I needed to take at my career at Texas Tech was I decided to take printmaking with Linwood Krennic. And I went in there and I didn't know anything about printmaking. And I went in there and Linwood was like, hey, we have a, a grad student here. And this grad student is going to help you out. And in walks John Hancock. Oh. And I'm like, what? Not that guy. <laughs> what? Are you serious? I see that dude at the punk shows. Anyway. <laughs> and then, so I really admired John's work ethic because he was always working in studios. I would go into the, into the studios to do work, whatever, and he was there working. And I was really turned on by his artwork and other people. And I really started loving printmaking, even though I was sort of ending my career at Texas Tech as a student. And uh, then I realized with my graphic design degree, I could sort of mix them together. Mm-hmm. Rock, I was always doing rock posters and things like that. And that's how it all sort of started, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I used to do uh, like gig posters and I would screen print them. One color. I didn't know anything about screen printing, <laughs> but I would just like screen print that one color, and it'd be like, "Whoa, it's in red instead of black and white Xerox. It's this red Xerox." And then I would throw the whole thing away, the whole kit away, like a speedball kit, and just throw it all away afterwards. But it was, uh, yeah, I didn't have, I didn't know, anything. I didn't know what, I, I didn't know what I was doing. But later on, I got, um, I got a, a, a better at it, I guess, and learn the ins and outs of it and then it just became a process Mm -hmm. so where I was really more focused on the imagery and the process of of getting that imagery out was through screen printing which I really love I mean I I do some other forms of printmaking but screen printing is my deal Mm -hmm. what do you think it was about screen printing in particular that really captured your attention and your curiosity and your creative energy? Mm, I think it was probably the immediacy of mm. it, you know, no drying time or anything like that. I remember one time there was a band that came into Lubbock and they were called the Rhythm Pigs. They were out of <laughs> El Paso, right? And I'm like, whoa, the Rhythm Pigs are coming. Uh, and I, have study, <laughs> I have to study for finals and things like that. And uh, my friend was like, the Rhythm Pigs are going to be at this party house party and there's gonna be free beer and shit and i'm like whoa okay i'm going and so i went there and what i saw was something that really changed something in me i -hmm. saw kids screen printing flyers on a coffee table i saw them outside spray painting t-shirts 
I saw that they were touring in a bus and I saw this energy mm-hmm. that I was like, that's it, man. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. I want to do this sort of screen printing thing, you know, but before that, I was just, I knew that I wanted it to be some sort of an illustrator before I even knew what that was. I worked at a TGNY a long time ago. Uh, I think my mom was like, you got to go get a job. Anyway, I was like <laughs> 16 or something. Somebody got me a job at TGNY breaking down boxes in the warehouse. Like I, they gave me this knife and I thought that was cool. And I would just slice up, <laughs> slice up these boxes and just cut them all up. Right. And in this TGNY, they had everything. They had like, you could buy your underwear there. Uh-huh. <laughs> you could buy pots and pans. It was like a five and dime store. And so I would, one day I was sweeping and I saw this Kiss album because they had albums too, mm-hmm. you know, disco mm-hmm. albums. And I saw this Kiss album. No, young. I think it was younger than 16. I may, may have been like 13 or something. It was one of those jobs where it was like totally under the radar. Maybe it was 12 or 13. <laughs> Child labor like, laws. Friend, yeah. Violated. Totally. It was yeah. like a friend, friend of a friend. Like, hey, we'll pay Carlos. We'll pay Carlos this if he can come break down these boxes. My mom would drop me off and I would go in there, break down all these boxes. And one day they had me sweep up an area. Okay, I think I can do that. I saw this Kiss album. Mm-hmm. I picked it up. Like, whoa, what the hell is this? This is a band? Shit. Of course, I bought it, brought it home, put it on our family stereo. The family stereo was one of those big Magnavox things that my mom actually used as part of the furniture in our house with doilies and everything anyway i opened it up and it had those those great late 70s tube amps they're so warm and sound amazing and i put this record on and i'm like whoa man awesome (laughs) just this rock and roll was coming out of the and i was like wow this is so good and my mom came in she was like what is what are you listening to i said i had the album the kiss album the kiss destroyer album Mm -hmm. look look at this look at this album look at this look at this band so cool and i said look at this artwork yeah the artwork and she said, that's called Illustrator. An illustrator did that. It's called Illustration. And an illustrator did that. And I'm like, what? And she, that's a job? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, it's a job. You can grow up to be an illustrator. And I'm like, mind blown. This is a job? That's what I want to do. I want that's to be so an great. illustrator. And so, well, here I am. And then you did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. I kept and that I... in mind. Totally. Because at that, but it was a just illustration in terms of like, hey, we have this book. Can you draw these leaves? I wanted to be the illustrator that did the rock bands mm-hmm. and did monsters and did whatever. I yeah. wanted to try to keep that that part of me in the game you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's interesting because I've 
been on this this journey where I'm talking to some of your your fellow outlaws. Uh-oh. And I think every one of them has has spoken to an album, not necessarily like an album, but just like in general album art being mm-hmm. an influence. And so I think there's definitely right. a through line there for sure. But also I've been kind of curious to it's made me it well basically it's made me start thinking about how I don't think the kids these days can have any sense of how precious it felt like to discover something that was outside of the mainstream because now everything right. is microcosms and microcultures and like this is my my curated TikTok list of things I see and my Instagram and things I see and so everything that we see now is to our taste because we can arrange it that way but to have the experience you did of just of of having your your childhood life and then seeing something that really feels like a discovery like you found some secret treasure into a world that you wanted to be a part oh, of yeah I yeah don't know if they're for gonna sure. have that, you know i don't know yeah i don't know i i remember album artwork just being big influence on me mm-hmm. and then covering artists like uh, i wasn't always a big elton john fan but i remember loving the, the yellow brick road album and it mm-hmm. really turned me on elton john because at the time like Elton John was like, he was kind of like a glitter rock guy, if you can believe that. Uh-huh. But I remember opening up Yellow Brick Road. It like it so it opened up and on the inside was this amazing artwork. Just amazing artwork. And uh, thinking and looking at it and like, wow, this is amazing. And later on, even like the punk albums, like uh-huh. the, I remember that first Ramones album, thinking how simple and stark it was it was Mm. like before photoshops like somebody took a photo and really just made it dirty and grimy somehow Mm -hmm. and used fluorescent ink for the ramones logo and things like that and even logos are inspiring so yeah you're right i mean that sense of discovery i i think it's still there i don't know how Mm -hmm. it's used today but i think it's still there yeah, but there was something. So. There is something about holding something that's tangible. In other words, yeah. you're holding it in your hands and discovering it because you haven't seen it before. You haven't seen it on TikTok or Instagram, or it's not in your face like everything is in your face today. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, in terms of influences for you, especially like the the early formative influences, I'm always really interested in. We've spoken to album art, but then at the beginning, you mentioned the sort of the hot rod culture and the Ed Big Daddy Roth, who I know you got a chance to work with at mm-hmm. some point as well. I did. Career. Yeah, so I remember. To, Go ahead. I was going to say, so I just, I'd kind of love to hear how you think that 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 hot rod aesthetic shows up in your work now. And then I'd love to hear the story of you, you working with the big daddy. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> the big daddy. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I did love his artwork. I didn't realize late years later, I realized that was a, sort of a custom culture. Mm. SoCal look. And I loved Ed big daddy Roth's artwork ed newton i I work with ed big daddy roth to create a lot of those crazy monster images you know Mm. i was as a kid i loved hot wheels 
and I love monster movies. And th- this person, who was really before my time, he's more like the 60s, created, like blended all of these things together with like punk abandon, just just created stuff, created mm. his own career. And I love doing that. I want to create my own career. You know, mm-hmm. I always tell people that I've never had like an actual job <laughs> where I could sign a FICA kind of uh-huh. thing. I've always just either been contract or just done my own thing, you know. Uh, but um, he had that. He had that spirit. And I copied it, which every artist should do. You should copy mm-hmm. other artists when you're young to figure out what you want to do there are i think there's sometimes when you're a little kid and and of course being a little kid and you're innocent so on so forth you're you're always going to explore i i get that but you got to have something to sort of copy and mimic and like anything else like any guitar player growing up they want to be eddie van halen they'll they'll or see ray vaughn or whoever and they want to mimic and and copy those that's how you learn to do things and so that's what i was doing i was like sort of trying to do my own monsters on hot rods and things like that and uh, but i did love that it that combined with music and pop culture that's what defined me growing up robert crumb who i didn't really even know that's who it was but i would see his imagery i liked all of that Years later, I would eventually catch up with Ed Big Daddy Roth. He had a a person who said, hey, I am licensing Ed Big Daddy Roth artwork, and I think you'd be great to head up this team to help license his artwork. And this licensing was a new thing, and he's open to it. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Oh my God. Whoa. Yeah, I would love it. I would love it. And so they brought him to Houston and I got to work with Ed Big Daddy Roth and he had great stories. He talked about Von Dutch Mm -hmm. and he talked about all of this kind of stuff. Now, when I met Ed Big Daddy Roth and I worked with him side by side every day. It was interesting to get to rub elbows with Ed Big Daddy Roth, one of your heroes growing up. But he talked about so many things, and I learned a lot about that sort of SoCal California artwork. And again, it influenced me. It's like I I dug in deeper, and I started looking at the way things were made. But I also started thinking about how he was just so – loose about it he would just mm-hmm. like just do it it was before it was like that sort of nike things just like just do this man and just create this and just create your own world you know and so i've held that aesthetic but he was also like a john hancock like a lot of, like a tom huck like a dennis mcnett he was prolific he just mm. kept going, didn't stop. And I'm so grateful to have heroes like that where they just don't stop making, you know. And that's me. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I just don't stop making. And he 
was a big influence on me. I remember my dad had one of those art mail order things where you could like become an artist or draw this. And he had all these books. And in the back of these books had all these pristine, clean pages for you to draw in these books. And I went in there as a kid, like, I don't know, I was like maybe 10 years old. Started drawing all my hot rod stuff in there. He would come back. He would like come home from work. Like, what are you doing? And I would have all these hot rods and and monsters and stuff like that. Anyway, they got they got put away, and they were in my mom's attic. <clears throat> and uh, my brother said, "Hey, we were going through the attic, and we saw all these old hot rod stuff, you know." And I'm like, "Oh, we'll just save them, you know. I'd like to have them one day." And so this opportunity with Ed, Ed Big Daddy Roth came up. And so I called up my brother. I said, oh, my God, I got to have those books. I want to show Ed Big Daddy Roth that I've been a fan forever. Yeah. And so he he came over. And there was like a very – Ed Roth created Rat Fink. And so there was a very crude drawing of my own version of Rat Fink, right? And the Rat Fink was – what was the Rat Fink was doing something, some kind of activity. Anyway, shipped it to me. I brought over the book. I took it over to him. I said, look, I have been your fan since I was 10 years old. And here's my name. It's a big C and a little yeah. A and an R. And it just looks all crooked and stuff. Look. And he looked at it. And he goes like, yeah, okay. So let's get back on this other oh. thing we were going to do. And I'm like, what? Oh. What? Oh. Okay. <laughs> But he was he was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah he, was, he, was he was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like, yeah, that's like the don't meet your idols. But like, it sounds like it was a good oh, experience yeah. all the same. But yeah. The, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we all have like the kind of putting your heart out there as a fan stories to like somebody. And then they're like, they're like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And you're like, it's <laughs> really funny. Yeah, you know, it was, I know well, I had a great experience with him and, and uh, I mean, I've had lots of people, uh, life is about learning and mm. uh, learning and doing. And I worked with many great, a lot of my heroes. I worked with a lot of my heroes working with, um, uh, Billy Gibbons was another one. He was a trip. I got to do the uh, logos for the cars of Billy F. Gibbons at at uh, the Peterson Museum. And I learned a lot about ZZ Top and learned about underground. And he was a big underground rock person. And he taught me a lot about that, too. And big Southern Cal, you all about that. So Very cool. I'd love to talk a little bit about sort of logos and text and how they fit in to what you do. Because I feel like sometimes there's a, a bit of a false dichotomy when it's like, it's like, oh, like art is pictures and words are words. But you look mm-hmm. at what something that you've designed, you look at one of the posters and it just seems to, see, it's seamless. You know, the way the words mix mm-hmm. with the imagery, the way the information is sort of laid out in the sense of, let's say it's 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 like there's a show at this time like you can pull the information from the image but it doesn't overpower the image at all how do you do that what's your process of kind of finding that balance between something that needs to be didactic but also something that is a work of art it's really interesting 
Hmm. Well, well <clears throat> I mean, I love typography mm-hmm. and I love gra- obviously graphic design typography, but there is something about old signs and um, old handmade signs that made you stop and read something. Because sometimes actual typography, Helvetica, Garamond Pro, whatever you're using, <laughs> it gets to be routine. Yeah. But when you go to see an old sign that was handmade and sometimes right. even like, uh, like here in Houston, there's a lot of that kind of stuff, like haircuts, so-and-so. And it was, you could totally tell it was like hand done. Yeah. It makes you stop and look at it. And I love marrying a, like the, the hand-drawn type to the image because then it all like you said, it just sort of blends in. Mm-hmm. It's soft, softer, not so much in your face, even though my handwritten stuff is, is really big sometimes. But it becomes part of the artwork. And I think that's, um, I think the artwork becomes more unique when you're able to do handwritten things like that. So that's mm-hmm. how I, I started. And, and I started doing a lot of that back in college when I was doing like a lot of band flyers. I just started drawing into the image. I don't know where that came from, but like I would see, sometimes I would see old signs or handmade things where they would like, like there'd be a picture of somebody and they would, oh, they forgot to put the times of the store or whatever. So they would like maybe put that on the hair or somewhere uh on the face without even knowing. And I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's cool. I want to do that. Again, another thing where you pick up and you beg, borrow, and steal and think <laughs> about, like, how can I incorporate that into my art? So you're walking past, again, I'll use the haircut thing, a shop, and it has, like, all of it, some information, and, you know, I, I, maybe the owner couldn't afford an actual sign company, so they painted their own thing, and they're painting stuff, and... And they forgot to add this and forgot to add the ad, whatever. Yeah. And they start painting over and over and start to actually paint onto maybe they ran out of room and start painting on the face, start painting on the hair. Maybe they want to call out something and print, print, paint it a big block of, of black with white on it. You, know, you start looking at it, you pass by this sign, you look at it, you're like, whoa, that's, that's cool. I, mm-hmm. I want to put that in my art. I want to use that somehow in my artwork. And I think that's how maybe that's how maybe I like to incorporate things like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cause a lot of times the the way the text is just folded into the imagery, mm-hmm. it's that's how I feel like it kind of walks that line a bit where you can see the forms of the images and then you have to sort of it's almost right. like like a magic eye poster or something where you're like, you're like yeah. I can look at the text or I can pull back and look at the image or I can look at the text and you can't really do both at the same time. But it it just makes for a really interesting experience and, and one that I, I think, yeah, is really related to gig posters like you talked mm-hmm. about as well. Well, th- thanks. I Yeah, I I don't know. I just, uh, just kind of like doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have any other <laughs> explanation. I just that's just my thing. I love mm-hmm. incorpor- incorporating hand drawn type yeah. into the imagery because it, it again it just adds like 
why not make the type art too? You mm-hmm. know, and it's not really like, I mean, people were doing that in the sixties, all the psychedelic, beautiful type. Mine is not that it's like, hand, it's like scribbled on things, <laughs> you know? So yeah. 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 My, my, mom, my own way. My mom went to Berkeley in the sixties and she actually mm-hmm. has a pretty good poster she collection. The entire time? Likely. Yeah. Like, okay. mom, I know you All listen right. way in. Like, let Uh-oh. us know. <laughs> well, maybe not. But she was she was a, a, a groovy feminist of, of yeah. the early 60s. And so I grew up with these framed posters. Some of them had yeah. the tack marks in them because she just taken them down after the oh, yeah. gig was over. But she just saw them as works of art even then. And there is like a real preciseness in that where all the rounded letters are perfect and all of that. Right. And it's, it's so I can see that in what you do, but there's such a like frenetic energy in all of your imagery that it doesn't have the, like the acid trip, you know, yeah. kind of smoothness to it. It has right, the punk rock right. vibration <laughs> to it instead, but it's, it's uh. still there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I am glad. I'm glad you noticed. I mean, not that many people talk to me about the the type work that hmm. goes into some of these things. And uh, I don't do all gig posters, but when I do and I have the opportunity, it's great. I I'm still trying to figure out how to excuse me how to incorporate um, typography into my more what you would call fine art. And uh, <laughs> I've done a few things, so. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It gives you an excuse when you do a gig poster and or an event poster, then you can obviously put that information on there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. but, but the more like fine art things, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to discover that now. Again, never stop learning. Totally. Totally. <laughs> never stop producing. Oh my God. Yeah. Too many I mean, people, well- I think, like there's just so many I, I see so many people on their journey and they just stop working and I'm like mm. why? Like but they want to be independent, they want to not work for the man, but you can't do that. You can't do that unless you really commit yourself to mm. this is my life. I have to throw everything else away. And only concentrate on this. And this is what Huck, Tom Huck told me. And he's, I said, how did you become this thing? You know, we're out drinking one night. And he said, as I, I, I cut everybody out. I cut, Mm. I didn't have friends, girlfriend, nothing. Because I wanted this so bad that that's what I had to do is Mm -hmm. really concentrate on this because I never wanted to work for anybody, you know. And I did that too. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. Right. And, but that's what I was doing, you know. That's the only, only way you're ever going to be self. You're going to be that artist you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I drove through St. Louis recently and actually stopped and got a coffee with Huck, with my dogs, it was it was a nice St. Louis late what was this? summer day. This was a like couple weeks ago, I guess, two weeks ago. Oh wow! Yeah, it was really okay. recently, and we were sitting and we were chatting, and 
you know, he said something about being in the studio and that continual pursuit almost being like a spiritual practice because it's, it's like yeah. devotional energy, the way mm-hmm. he didn't, he didn't go to this extent, but I can imagine like the way nuns get up at four fifteen in the morning every day to do this, to do the prayers. And then they mm-hmm. do this thing. And he's like, it's, it has that level of dedication mm-hmm. and it's not something that people tell art students. They don't say this is what you're going to, you're going to need to be an art monk or an art nun. If you're going to make, well, this I mean, I mean, that's only if you want to be independent mm. and you don't want to work for the man because, you know, I can't believe I'm going to about to say this, but I guess it's okay. It's okay to be a part-time artist, I guess. <laughs> you know, you got to work this other job. And I get that. You need income, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you ever want to just get rid of all of that, everything, and just wake up in the morning and only do art and only be successful at it, you have to super concentrate on it, man. Mm-hmm. You have to cut everything out of your life and just do it. And the rewards will come. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at all the people that I think that you've maybe interviewed in the last month or so for this series, all of us, every one of us have that same drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. If I look back. Of course. Yeah, of of course. You know, you want to take a break, do things like that. But even on my breaks, I'm still doing something. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. I so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess and I think speaking of of doing something you have this practice where you've got the, the fine art and again reversed quotes, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, inverted commas, you know, right? Cuz it's like whatever it's all this this spectrum but like so you've got the fine art, you've got the gig posters, you've done collaborations with like really big name brands. And then on oh, top yeah. of all of that, you also are the patron saint of hosting fun print events in the United States. <laughs> I don't know how that came about. Well, yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? And when did you start doing it? And and yeah. Well, I would go to a few of these up north, you know. There wasn't anything like that happening in Texas. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there wasn't even a, a, back when we started Burning Bones Press, there wasn't even a, a community print shop in Texas. Now, Print on Flatbed was an additioning house, but 10 years ago, they, they weren't a community art space like mm-hmm. where you could come in and rent. But uh, maybe they were. I, I don't think, I mean, definitely wasn't common. It wasn't a known thing if it was. Not, yeah. not 10 years ago. But so, um, when Burning Bones Press started as a community print shop, in fact, in my travels, I would go around and look at other community print shops up north and my in my travels. And I'm like, how come we don't have that in Houston? How come we don't have that in Texas? Period. Uh, and uh, when I came back, me and my friend of mine, Pat Masterson, who is a master printer, who incidentally actually was the master printer at Flatbed Press, moved to Houston and we started palling around and talking and we created Burning Bones Press, but we also knew that we wanted to do something very community oriented. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And one time during Print Houston, it was just springing up. I was, I had talked to Dennis McNett at Whataburger ages ago, <laughs> ages ago. <laughs> he may not remember this, but I said, I want to do my own. I want to do one here in Houston and I want to do it. And I want to make it a crazy name and I want to do it in a crazy space. I don't want to do it in an art gallery. I want it to be fun and I want it to be like an ink singer thing where it's not intimidating and mm. you can bring your prints because a lot of younger or, or printmakers are on their journey that they, they don't have that opportunity, but I want to give them that opportunity. Like I'm going to make this fun. We're going to call it, it came from the Bayou mm-hmm. and that's what we're going to do. And it's going to be at St. Arnold brewery at an old giant brewery, the giant beer hall. And we're going to do it there. And I'm going to invite all these printmakers and let's see what happens. The first one, I think, was at Continental Club here in Houston. But then we switched over to St. Arbury. And that's how it started. And I loved doing that. I love curating and, and getting these certain artists to have a certain vibe to that show. There was a certain vibe to everything else that was happening at Print Houston, but it needed its own outlet of of what of this sort of printmaking craziness younger people not even necessarily younger but just more outsider printmaking Mm -hmm. that you would not normally see people who were wanting to sell affordable prints who wanted to have a table and show off their stuff but there were printmakers so that's why we created it came from the bayou and that ran for a couple of years, started to become very successful. And then Print Houston started Print Austin. And Print Austin started taking off. And they created something called the Print Expo, which was like a which was like a it came from the bayou. It was sort of a underground print slinger kind of a thing and it started off at of a where at a warehouse and before it moved over to blue genie and i mean i was fortunate they asked me you haven't you know how to do this stuff and you know how to create a certain vibe which is like are you sure are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah so will you be involved in this one i'm like yeah i would love to and so i started becoming involved at at Print Expo and started mm-hmm. doing that. And I think I worked with Elvia. She started the first Print Expo and she invited me over to do the artwork, to do to help create that vibe. And then it was taken over by Kathy. Kathy Savage. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And uh, she continued to work with me and we built it up. And then uh, back in Lubbock Mm-hmm. I was asked, we'd like to do something similar. I don't know. We don't have a print festival here. I said, why don't we do UFOs over Lubbock? And because the one time there was a it was a big UFO thing that happened in Lubbock in the 50s. I don't know. Some big UFO incident in the 50s in Lubbock. And so why don't we do something called UFOs over Lubbock? And so then we started that one. And so now there's three of them. And I've been a very fortunate to help curate that. And I hope to maybe even get involved with, well, we already talked about it. So I don't uh, want to 
fool. I don't want to fool the people out there, but I can't wait to to be involved with Prince Santa Fe. Oh, I'm so excited! Like it's it's definitely oh, like a bit of a thank you. Yeah, a bit of a dream because because I, I I had the like when I started the podcast years ago. Mm-hmm. I had this idea that it would be so fun if it could turn into some kind of event, like something. Mm-hmm. Like, because gathering printmakers together is just the most fun thing. It's just the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I knew what you were doing and, and knew what you had started. And so it just feels really wonderful to have you involved with like this little seed of a dream that I've had for years. And I'm just so excited that you've agreed to wow, get involved for, and design something for us. Well, and yeah. Oh yeah, I can't wait to design something for you. And I think, uh, and, I, and I appreciate you guys reaching out. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. I want to make sure that we've got a little bit of time to talk about outlaw printmakers because we we mentioned okay. that a little bit in passing. We said <clears> that we've got <throat> a couple through lines of the the album art and this kind of bit of like an outsider aesthetic perhaps as part of it. But mm-hmm. from your point of view, what makes an outlaw printmaker an outlaw printmaker? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God, that's a tough question. Because I don't know. I mean, I, I love being a part of that group. Th- those those in particular, like Sean Star Wars, and, and, and I hate to say it, but, you know, like, my my guy friends, <laughs> they, I don't know, they're just, I love that we have a certain mindset mm. of the way we want to do artwork. And um, so I like being a part of that, but I don't know if I can answer your question. Huh? I, I don't know if I have anything, any, a real answer to that other than to say that I appreciate them accepting me to be a part of this group. Now, mm-hmm. the group is a bunch of posers, to be honest with, with you. But, but I'm a, <laughs> Wait, I'm, what does I'm that gra- mean? Uh, what do you mean by that? Know. <laughs> you know, I never, I never put outlaw, outlaw printmakers, Carl's are outlaw printmakers. But I, I never do that. But I mean, it's just, it's just a fun, mm. it's a, it's, it's a fun association of like-minded artists Mm -hmm. that are almost have the same that have the same sort of energy and aesthetic and i'm just happy i mean really it's i know it's a boring answer but that's that's it yeah Yeah. that's it you know i i think maybe i even talked about this in one of my other interviews but i feel like there's like an old i'm not gonna get right maybe an old Ronald Reagan or Nixon quote about like pornography. Like I just I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the answer. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's the it's like that law printmakers like pornography. Like you know it when you see it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Outlaw printmakers, they're all all of them are my best friends for life. And yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And and what is your your sense of how the the band of outlaws kind of was formed. Like, how did it even become a thing? Hmm. Well, I think there was a non-acceptance of mm. now this. This was probably before me, if I'm being honest. You know, there's it was it was before. I mean, there was a sort of a non-acceptance of a certain type of artwork, aesthetic, and uh, just that overall a vibe. Mm-hmm. from the print community 
that a lot of a lot of artists had had different opinions and different views. And I, I think that's just more how it became put together. I mean, it wasn't your usual and I'm not gonna get in trouble for this, but <laughs> was it your usual landscape uh-huh. or some sort of abstract something shinkle? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I I I'm just using terms. It wasn't the consistency of inks and whatever. Mm-hmm whatever wood you were using or I, it wasn't any of that. It was mm-hmm. just an energy, something different that was being thrown out there in printmaking. And so we sort of all started banding together yeah. and became this thing. Yeah. That's the way I see it. Yeah. I I'm think curious that- to hear what, you know, <laughs> others will say. <laughs> Sim- similar things for sure. And I think that, that, yeah. that, that sense that printmaking can get, because it is, it is a difficult task. Like it requires a really high skill level to execute a basic image in a way mm. that I think other media don't necessarily share that, you know, like I can, nah, yeah. you know, I can like, draw a shitty picture of a cat and someone's going to know it's a cat or I can paint a shitty painting of a cat and people know it's a cat, but like to create like an aquatint of a cat, like that people look like a cat, Yeah, you know, there's, there's this, there's this certain like barrier of entry to a lot of the the media or to even like carve a picture of a cat or, or anything. So it's, I think because of that, it can get really fiddly. And people can get kind of lost and pulled into that aspect of it. And that can be a whole rabbit hole that people go down and sort of never return from. And there's a certain – I think when that happens, it can sort of divorce from the content of the print. Because if if you get too stuck on the way. And so what I feel like part of the energy of Outlaws – is it has this, I am making a good image. Don't get stuck in how I made this necessarily. And that's not to say that like you're not an amazing screen printer and Huck can't carve a block like in this incredible mm-hmm. level, but it's like it's almost like that that sort of fiddliness is pushed aside for this like I am making an image that's gonna make you turn your head and I don't have right. to get and, in that little the nitty gritty as much. Yeah. I do that in a lot of my talks. I do I mean, I'm fortunate enough to do many talks and and you know, even with the speed like Bill Fick and I do the speedball tour. That's a whole yeah. other conversation. And uh, professors hate when I say it, but I <laughs> like, I can teach you how to I can teach you the basics of how to cut a linoleum or how to screen print. You know, that's easy. Any mm-hmm. monkey can do that. And they're looking at me like, what? <laughs> hey, I can teach you. It's like, what do you have to say? Yeah. What do you have to say afterward? Uh, yeah, of course, the process is something It's different from painting. And there's a, a process, a whole process that you go through. And printmaking, the additioning part of it, but just getting from point A to point B to be able to do something on a substrate. Yeah, it's a process, mm-hmm. but it's it's something you can learn fairly quickly. And it's after that is what do you have to say with this print? Now, that being said, there are a lot of times where people will ask me, and 
well, I wouldn't say a lot of times, but a few times, they'll ask me, what, is this, what does this mean? What's this meaning behind this? And I will tell them, it doesn't mean anything. I just want <laughs> you to look at it. Art doesn't have to mean anything, although it's probably coming from somewhere, someplace deep inside me. Mm-hmm. But I, there's no, there's no crazy meaning here. I'm just doing art. I'm doing mm-hmm. something I love doing, and here it is. Yeah. So. I love that. And I think and that's I, a, a yeah. radical philosophy. You know, it mm-hmm. really is. And and a really important one that you can say the experience of viewing this is the end in and of itself. And that that is like that is why it exists in the world, is because I want people to have the, this experience. I love that. Mm-hmm. Like I love artworks that sort of stand in that way. And, and I and I re- I respect anybody who wants to do something political oh, or for anything sure. like that. But but that's not me. I mean, mm-hmm. I would be lying if I try to do anything like that. I know, a little bit is is sometimes the political stuff gets to be a, a cry for help. <laughs> I just want to be like I, I want to I want to be accepted on my terms. You know, if mm-hmm. I want to do a cowboy with glitter makeup running down his face, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that's just it. And then you're going to have to accept me for what it is. Same thing with like you were talking about the corporate world is like, that's why I get hired to do some of those things. Like the things I did for Levi's, mm-hmm. they saw my work, but they didn't want me to compromise any of that. And the stuff, same thing I did for Apple. They, they wanted for me to just do my thing, you know? Yeah. And so when I saw it, when I saw the Apple playlist, I was like, Okay, they kept everything good. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's and speedball too. Speedball's been very generous with letting me sort of do my thing too. So, yeah, that's very important. Well, Carlos, I feel like we've kind of just scratched the surface, honestly, <laughs> but we're already coming up on our recording mark. So okay. I'm just really excited to have the opportunity to collaborate with you more. And I'd love to have you Great. back on the podcast at some point and, and do, do yeah, a deeper man. dive. And I'm just, yeah, just totally chuffed that we're going to get to collaborate a bit for Prince Santa Fe and uh, make it a good event. So I really appreciate it. And, and thanks, for, thanks for chatting with me. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Sorry it took several years. But <laughs> we Delayed gratification. Did yeah. yeah. <laughs> we finally did it. If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon, where you can get bonus content like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor Timothy Pauschek digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. But if monetary support isn't in the cards for you right now, the very best thing you can do to support this podcast is listen and tell a fellow print friend about it. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week. My guest will be Tom Hawk. We talk about what it's like to make some of the most beloved and controversial images in contemporary printmaking, selling affordable works for young collectors as well as sweets to the Met, and keeping the Tomahawk ethos alive. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.